This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. I am a very privileged individual. I'm one of the approximately third of the American workers who have been able to continue working remotely. It puts us in a safer environment versus those of us who have to go into a place of work or have high contact with others where the risk of contracting coronavirus goes up. Well, as office workers have overwhelmingly not been going to the office, there have been a couple of very, very odd trends. One, in a survey just done by Gallup, it found that overwhelmingly workers have loved working from home. And the ratio of people who actually want to go back in the office like before coronavirus, only 14%. I mean, it's amazing how much people have overwhelmingly adjusted to being able to work from home. In fact, a third of people in a different survey said that they, their hope is that they will never, ever have to walk in the office again where they were working and spend out their working days with whatever company it is working from home. Now, overwhelmingly also, people want to be able to work, when people were asked, would you like to work away from the office at least two days a week? Three quarters of people said that. But you know there are employers already saying, we want you back. Chase Bank just did that with a lot of their staff, said they had to go back to the office. And and some of their facilities, they went back a week and a half ago. They're already having to send people home again because there was an outbreak of coronavirus in one of their facilities. So for now, it's a health issue. And the question is, why would you put people into an environment where you would put them in danger unnecessarily? And so I'll tell you from my company, we've been going through a dilemma trying to figure out what to do moving forward. Because historically, I have employees in multiple states, but the ones that are concentrated We have an office facility we've not used since March, and the employees have loved working remotely, but we are now planning to give up our office space and have only a meeting space where people can come together once Corona's over or under control enough to come together for meetings only so that we have the face-to-face and that people get that camaraderie, but that people will be 
it looks like where we're headed is that people will be free to work from home five days a week. And we've talked about uh, working in the office two or three days a week and working at home other days. We're still noodling that out. But a lot of larger employers are saying they want people back even though in the office when this clears, even though when you talk to workers, two in three find that they, by their opinion, are more productive when they work at home. But then you go back to Chase Bank. Chase Bank says that they find that workers are not as productive working at home, and particularly younger workers, that on Mondays and Fridays, younger workers don't produce when they're working from home. So there's going to be a dance that comes once the dust clears from coronavirus on how and where we work. And I'm guessing we're going to end up with um, very traditional companies like a bank ordering people back. But you're going to find a lot of employers and employees are going to be doing the same kind of experimentation that I'm talking about with my company where we will figure it out as we go what gives us the right amount of teamwork and gives people the freedom to produce from where they wish instead of having to commute. I mean, you think about the trends with traffic going forward. Traffic, obviously, uh, even though traffic's recovered very heavily in most metro areas in the country, it's still significantly less impactful in terms of time and traffic and rush hour for people who are on the roads than it historically has been. And there will be some amount of long-term play in that with traffic becoming less of a hassle around the country. One thing that I really hope for is that employers do adopt more flexible schedules in terms of what hours people have to report to work if they have to go to a physical office and when they leave because that's one of the ways you really, really reduce the impact of a commute and the traffic involved. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. And Kim, what you got starting? All right, this is from Linda in Georgia. And Linda says, I owed the IRS this year, so I mailed in my payment on time. But as of today, they still have not cashed my check. I can't reach anyone by phone. And my concern is that they will try and charge me a penalty. Who should I call and what should I do? So the IRS has, after much embarrassment, has said, just sit tight. They've not published how many millions of people are affected this way, but I am one of them, as I shared with you on the show prior. Um, I did get one of the nasty grams that the IRS has now discontinued sending. At one point, the only stat that was released and there's been no update i've been able to find anywhere is there's 12 million unopened envelopes by the irs that was the last accounting they gave so i check um at least once a week to see if my check is cleared and it still has not and so it's just a waiting game so what would happen this is a hard thing. If your check just goes missing, could be 
you know, we've got these problems with the Postal Service, with the operational problems they've had. We've got the problems with the IRS. If your check never shows up, as of now, the burden of proof passes to you. You have no way, unless you sent your payment by certificate of mailing or certified mail, that you made your payment on time, and you would owe a small amount of interest and penalties, hopefully not any significant amount, if your check never does clear. But most people's checks eventually will clear, and there will be no burden for you. Joel? Clark Elizabeth in California says, I need to go to New York in October. Is it better to buy airline tickets, a car rental, a hotel, and everything at the same time through a site like Priceline, or should I be buying each of those things separately? Buy them separately. Very important right now, buy airline tickets from the airline itself. All the problems, I shouldn't say all, almost all the problems that have occurred for people through coronavirus with airline tickets and getting accommodations for them, uh, credits, cancellations, whatever, have involved people who book through third-party booking sites for air travel. This is a time that it's very important, even if you comparison shop elsewhere, uh, that you buy your ticket from the airline itself. For hotels, the hotel booking sites, Priceline, the biggest in the world with its parent company, Booking, they have very, very clear policies. You can see hotel bookings that are fully refundable. So stick to those, and Priceline is still where I would go if you're looking for a deal on a hotel. Car rentals, there's no penalty for canceling a car rental later. Just book a car rental however you wish at a multi-platform like um, Expedia, rental cars, or directly at a car rental company. And just make sure you're not doing any booking that you're prepaying for your car rental, and you'll be A-OK. Kim? Dave in Florida says, we're buying a seasonal home in southwest Florida, and the home is in flood zone X, less than a 0.2% chance of flooding, according to the FEMA map. Flood insurance, though, is available to us for about $700 a year. And what do you think? Is it worth buying? So Florida is so few feet above sea level that uh, I happen to have the privilege of having a Florida home, and mine is not in any FEMA zone, as I recall. But I still have a flood insurance policy because I can look at the topography and know that something can happen. If you think about what's going on right now in Pensacola, where areas that are not ones that people think of as would flood are getting huge amounts of flooding, and I feel so bad for the people who live in the area who are going to have to rebuild. Imagine having to rebuild if you have no insurance coverage for it. So paying $700 a year for the federal policy that gives you a quarter million dollars in coverage, I think is well-spent money. Joel? Clark Inger in California says, I'm helping a friend refinance her mortgage, and her credit reports are showing three hard inquiries from separate mortgage companies, all three were made within a four-day period in July. So why are they showing up as separate inquiries, and is there a way to fix this? 
By the way, so much thanks to you and your amazing staff. If you had a dollar for every dollar you've saved other people over the years, Jeff Bezos would be the second richest man on the earth. Well, what a kind thing to say. I mean, that's that's very kind. So the inquiries will show for each lender you apply with, but in the FICO scoring model, those are all compressed as if they were just a single inquiry. At least that's how the system's supposed to work, and it should work in the scoring. The way you'd know if that's what happened is if there was like a 12-point drop from three inquiries instead of maybe a, you know, a 35 or 40-point drop from those three inquiries. So every one of them happened, so they'll be listed. But because those inquiries were in such a tight time frame for a mortgage, it's only treated as a single one, not as three. Kim? Jason in Missouri says, with the recent market climb, what are your thoughts on moving some of my IRA funds out of stock funds and into a less volatile spot? I'd like to capture and hold these recent gains. Well, you know, I'm not a market timer where I just ride up and ride down. And you've heard me say again and again, that stocks are overvalued in the United States. Um, The only rotation I did was I have significant holdings overseas where the likelihood for long-term growth is going to be potentially higher than in the United States, but I'm still very heavily in American uh, stock choices as well through funds. If you want to just have peace of mind then rotate out of the stocks. There's no tax implications for you because you're in an IRA. The hard part is knowing when you you will lock in your gains, but what you don't want is opportunity costs, that you miss future gains. So one idea I can suggest, unless you just wouldn't sleep well at night, do half a loaf. Move half of your holdings strategically to a safe holding inside your IRA money market fund, something like that, and or an ultra-short bond fund, and then leave the rest in play so that at least you would cut potential losses from a decline in half, but you would also not miss all the gains that occur over time by not knowing when it's good to go back in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Ryan, you have a generous boss, huh? Yes, I uh, I had a pretty good uh, previous month and uh, had a quick question for you. I'm ready. So I have uh, close to, I guess it's a little under a year's um, emergency fund and an online savings account. Um, and I was wondering, so I'm currently debt-free and I use some of my bonus money to uh, save for some future bills, but I was wondering 
I currently also have a Roth IRA and was wondering, is it better to put some of that in my Roth IRA or is it better to just go up to a year's emergency fund in an online savings account? Right. First of all, you are a superstar. Nobody really ever calls me and says, you know, I'm approaching one year of money in reserve in my emergency fund. Should I keep working on that or should I do a Roth IRA? That's a question that's pretty much a never question. And you should be really proud of yourself that you are living on substantially less than what you make. You have a reserve like that. And be proud of what you've accomplished. If you've got bonus money and you've got that kind of rainy day fund already, I'd throw it in your Roth IRA. Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And know, by the way, that uh, you're doing um, a simple thing like a target retirement fund or you picking individual uh, funds. How are you doing your Roth? No, I'm doing a target retirement fund with one of the low-cost providers you recommend. Great. All right, so in that target retirement fund, you're going to have some volatility, some risk right now because stocks have been pretty... Uh, highly valued you could in the short term even say clark's an idiot i put this money in and i look what happened i lost money my next statement's lower than my last one don't worry about all that you're doing that for the long game and getting that money into the roth ira is what i think makes sense especially with how you live on substantially less than what you make gives you the options and congratulations to you Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can keep more of what you have. We, the American people, are so fatigued from this year of coronavirus. We want so badly for things to at least approximate what normal life would be. And so it was very exciting for me that the Big Ten belatedly voted to have an abbreviated season. It's going to be an eight-game season, at least that's what's scheduled and we'll see how they do through that eight-game season starting in late October. The PAC, is it called PAC 10 or 12 now? Whatever they call the, the one on the West Coast that I don't pay any attention to. Anyway, they're the last of the big conferences, the Power Five, that has not decided to play a season this year. And there's already been a lot of uh, postponements or cancellations as squads have ended up with a lot of coronavirus. LSU, the squad, according to the head coach, overwhelmingly has coronavirus throughout the squad. And so this is going to be an unusual year. The good news is that the age of football players, um, the risk to coronavirus to them is so low. It's much higher for the coaches 
and the support staff on football teams. And uh, they just need to be careful and aware of that. And for the most part, having very small crowds or no crowds at the stadiums, that's helping to prevent community spread. So it's not the preferred way. And it's so weird right now to have so many sports playing all at the same time that normally would not be. So if you were starved for sports earlier this year on television, you got them all the time. The NFL, uh, which is the football that I'm all about. I mean, I just love NFL football. I have my NFL Sunday ticket. I sent a friend a picture of me with three TVs all going on different games at once and just getting in that whole sensory overload and with the Sunday ticket kept changing games and all that. And um, I was not a typical viewer in that ratings have been mixed after the first week. Some games were up, but overall the ratings looked like they were down about 8% for the first week. So people were back watching, but seeing stadiums, with no fans except in uh, Jacksonville and Kansas City. Odd stuff. But I'm so glad to see football taking place, and I just hope that the, uh, that the players and those that support these teams stay safe. And some sports have done better with that than others, and we'll see how the football season progresses. And giving people that sense of, of adjusted normalcy is, I think, a worthwhile thing. And human beings are very adaptable. We're so much more adaptable than you could imagine. And we show that in the way we live our lives every day without even thinking about it. It's time for your questions you posted for me at Clark.com ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternating. Who's up? Clark, I'm up, and Michelle in North Carolina has got a question. She says, I have a credit on a major airline for a flight that was changed but not canceled. It's unlikely that I will be flying in 2020 due to ongoing COVID concerns. The credit is good until December 31st uh, of this year. Do you think the airline will extend these credits until 2021, or will we just have to endure the loss of that money? It's an unknown at this time. So uh, the way you worded that to me, Joel, is that she changed her mind, right? The flight was changed, but not canceled. But was it changed by the airline or by her? She doesn't specify. Okay, see, that's the significant thing. If you made the change, you have to live within the time rule that the airline established. If the airline made the change under federal law, you are entitled to a refund of your money, not a credit towards future travel. So that's the significant important difference in this case. But in terms of whether airlines administratively are going to extend the deadlines to use the money, ask early and often and read the airline's own policies on its website because it will vary by airline how they'll handle these sunsets of tickets that were originally set by several airlines for the end of this year. One change that's occurred since you originally bought your ticket, is airlines have eliminated most of their non-refundability. That alone may lead to a kinder action towards you on being able to use this money sometime in 21. I will tell you this, though. 
the data that has come out and the studies that have been done have found that the danger of flying on an airplane is actually quite low, that people face forward, people must wear masks on aircraft, and the number of people having a problem has been extremely low. Also, on Southwest and Delta, where they don't permit a center seat to be filled, the risk drops by about another half. So it is an extremely low possibility anyway, but incredibly low if you fly Delta or Southwest, at least as long as they block that middle seat. Kim? Tau in Georgia says, it's been more than five months since I filed for unemployment insurance. As of today, I have not received any benefit payment. I've contacted the DOL, the governor's office, and my state senator, as you have suggested. So far, no responses. What else can I do to get help? And why isn't the DOL office considered essential in this time? I can't answer the last part, but I have one other tool I can recommend. Um, Local TV stations are always looking for the human element, human interest. Call um, the, the TV stations that run local news in your area and tell them your story. You're, you make it really easy for a reporter. You're a real person. You're motivated. You're suffering. And you go on camera, and then the Department of Labor is going to have to answer for the failure to pay you unemployment for five months. They pop you on TV, and your money will start coming virtually immediately. And TV stations need what they call RPs, real people with real situations viewers can relate to. And your circumstance of five months of waiting for unemployment insurance obviously is a compelling story. Give that a try. Please let me know. And I'm very surprised that contacting your state senator did not get anything done for you. Shame on your state senator for not stepping up to the plate for a constituent. Joel? Clark Sue in California says, my flat screen TVs are both over 15 years old now. No, No, they're not. (laughs) Says, I want to replace them with 55 or 65 inch screen TVs now. So when's the best time to buy them? And any brand suggestions for just kind of average viewing? So um, I'm cheap guy. I always buy by screen size. All the TVs are phenomenal that are out there today. And uh, 55-inch TVs are in the twos, even not counting what's going to come with the uh, what we used to call the Black Friday buying weekend. Now it's the Black Friday season, which this year is going to start at some point in October. And that's when you'll start seeing 55s for a hundred and something dollars instead of 200 and something dollars. 65 inch TVs are routinely now uh, around the $400 mark. And I've seen a number of 70 inch screen TVs at about $450. So these are all off brand TVs. I don't care about brands. The one thing I would look at though is Roku has become the dominant viewing platform in the streaming era. And Roku does uh, the absolute best job 
of presenting streaming television. Amazon, uh, with its fire sticks, gets an honorable mention, but it's just not up to the standards you get with Roku. And getting a TV that's a Roku TV, you're going to be able to get one in the price range you, you're looking for and just find that watching television by stream is so easy. You'll never, ever, ever want to watch TV the old-fashioned way from one of the cable monopolies or DirecTV or Dish Network once you've adapted to either the Roku platform or the Amazon Fire streaming platform. Joel, do I remember you're an Amazon or are you Roku? I'm Roku now. I used to have Amazon. I think they're both great. And what got you to switch from Amazon to Roku? Just buying a TV that had it built in. Pretty easy, isn't it? Totally easy. And Kim, you're up, right? Yep. This is from Vern in South Dakota. And Vern says, do people give up their consumer rights when they use a credit card via a third-party payment system like PayPal, Apple Pay, or Amazon Pay? Great question. And it depends on the particular circumstances, but most cases, no. If you're using um, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Samsung Pay, it is just a transmission method and it does not affect your rights to, to a billing dispute over failure to deliver goods or services or other disputes with the merchant, as long as you do so on a timely basis, generally considered to be 60 days. PayPal is its own kind of thing, and there are circumstances with PayPal where you do have normal dispute rights and others where you don't. It gets a little messy and goes back to whether PayPal is considered to be the merchant or the company you're buying from through the PayPal platform is the merchant. With Apple Pay, Google Pay, and um, Samsung Pay, in those cases, you are dealing with the merchant itself. The others are just uh, electronic version of you dealing with that merchant. Joel? Clark Stephen Washington says, I'm ready to pay my home off. Do I need an attorney to make sure the lending company doesn't hit me with a bunch of one-time charges and a last attempt to extract cash from me? I love this question. So, what the procedure is with loan payoff is stated in your original loan documents. But one thing you should know, you want to go back and refer to those. It'll be a very inexpensive process, a junk fee typically of 20 to $40 for you to get a final payout that'll show you a payoff letter that will show you day by day what payment you have to send to them to finish off your mortgage. Although, I do hear reports that servicers ignore what's in your original contract for your closing and try to charge other junk fees. The language in your contract from your closing is what counts. And you say, no, I'm not paying that. My closing papers say this is what I pay. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Kara is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Kara, you have a question for me that's like a blast from the past. What's going on? So, first of all, how are you today? I'm doing great, thanks, and hope you are. I am. So I have my eyes on a piece of property that is a foreclosure. Um, It goes up for auction in less than a month. It is as is where is. So I really have no idea what I'm getting into. And I'm wondering, for one, how crazy am I really? And for two, do I I need um, a a realtor to kind of help me through this process and to maybe work out some kinks that I might not foresee or what's your best advice on just kind of how to proceed? So I, over the years, have bought a number of foreclosures and I never bought one at a foreclosure auction. I always ended up buying from the lender because the advantage is you don't ever have to worry about what has not been disclosed to you or what messiness may come with your purchase of the property. Um, I, I know that the greatest opportunity also comes with the greatest hazard with a foreclosure, and that's when you grab it at auction. And so I know you could miss the property, but generally, I mean, this is all new again because we haven't had any real large number of foreclosures in the United States in the last eight or nine years. I mean, we went through a period of five years where we had tons of foreclosures. And so we're having a a little wave of them, nothing like we had before, because there's different circumstances today. But I would be very nervous doing a foreclosure process on your own. Do you have a real estate agent who works actively in the area where this foreclosure is? Not one um, that you hired, but are you aware of agents in that area? Yeah, I ha- I work with a realtor who I could definitely bring on board. My mother-in-law is um, has a realtor's license, although she's not actually practicing right now. Yeah, that's so not who I'm be- looking for. I'm looking for somebody... Who, if you go drive around the area where this uh, foreclosure activity is happening, um, you want to see who are the agents that sell very heavily in that area. Okay. Because they're the ones that are going to know first fair market value. They may even know that individual property and be able to guide you on it. Got it. But if you've never done this kind of thing before, I don't want you going in blind looking to uh, make an offer on you know through an auction process on a property when you just don't know how much work it's going to need 
and what truly fair market value is in the area where it is. And that's the value you'll really find in a knowledgeable agent who knows that area, what they call a farmer, somebody who their area of expertise is that particular zip code or part of town or area. So should I look for a realtor that specifically um, works with foreclosures or should I just, no? No, I don't think that's necessary. Any agent who's really experienced went through the foreclosure wave eight to 12 years ago and they're going to, they're going to know the game and how the process works. And they also know the, the neighborhood you're looking in and that's the kind of expertise you're going to need. Uh, going in on your own and attempting to buy a foreclosure at an auction just terrifies me for your wallet. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.